0: Before we get into our guest, just wanted to do a couple housekeeping things. Several of you have asked about a group on social media, and we've put together a group on Facebook. You can find that under Millionaires Unveiled, and also we've kind of got into a little bit of uh, multifamily investing. More details on that to come, but if you're interested, just reach out to us on millionairesunveiled at gmail.com, and we can get you some information on that.
2: Also, on the uh, website, we have some blog posts. So there's going to be some blog posts with interviews of millionaires that you may not hear on the on the podcast. Some people have accepted the invitation to do kind of an interview through the blog post and but didn't really want to be on the show. So you'll see that content there. So on today's show, we have Mark. And Mark has a net worth of just over $1 million dollars. And his story is rather interesting. He was a financial planner for about 16 to 17 years, and then he retired at the age of 36. And he was retired for a year, and then he said, You know, I'm bored. I can't take it anymore. And he went back to work and now helps manage company 401ks and is going to take another stab at retirement this next summer. And he mainly invests in dividend growth stocks. So he doesn't have any mutual funds or index funds, and he invests just in, in uh, you know, large-cap growth stocks or small-cap. Small and, and he makes about $1,300 a month off of his dividends. So without further ado, let's get into the interview with Mark.
0: Awesome. Welcome to Millionaires in Today we've got Mark with us. Mark, do you want to just give us kind of a rundown of, of who you are, where you come from and, and what you're up to?
1: Yeah, so uh, I am now a 38-year-old, uh, just hit uh, my first million uh, about a week ago, just before I turned 38, uh, worked in pretty much in finance investments for uh, quite a bit, like 16, 17 years. Um, always loved money. Not afraid to say that. A lot of people probably get turned off when, they, when you hear someone say that. But uh, I always loved money ever since I was a kid. I uh, loved learning about money when I was 16. Uh, that's kind of when I got introduced to the stock market uh, in economics class. That's when you do the little stock market project. And uh, the cool thing that I liked about it was learning that, hey, you can actually make some money without having to work. Uh, so that kind of got me fascinated with the whole finance Uh, area to to be invested in, uh, in my college time, that's what I majored in, and I got my master's and all that stuff, and then uh, after that, worked in investments as a retirement planner, uh, financial advisor, broker, whatever you want to call it, did that for uh, about 15 years, and then I retired at 36, and then uh, after about a year, kind of got bored with all the free time
0: and went back into uh, working in the 401k business, and here I am today. Awesome. So you, you just barely hit your first million. And how is that kind of allocated now? Uh, yeah, pretty much for
1: the majority of my life, it's been stocks. Uh, I started investing basically when I was twenty years old, uh, still in college, and for the majority of the time, I've always been in stocks. Right now, I'm about like ninety nine point. Five ninety nine point seven percent in stocks, and just have a little bit sitting in cash for paying the bills and things like that. But uh, pretty much uh, all stocks ride out the markets uh, during the downtime, and um, living off when I when I wasn't working, just lived off of some of the dividends, and uh, set up some distributions from my IRA account in a way that I didn't have to pay penalties on the uh, the distributions as well. Uh, but yeah, all dividends. Um, nowadays, mostly large cap stock uh, pretty much favor dividend growth stock investing. So a lot of people are thinking that dividend stocks are, are kind of boring. There's no real growth behind it, but you can get some good income. Growing income as at the same time, but also there's a, a bunch of companies that offer some pretty good capital appreciation that uh, in the long run, they, they can outpace the, uh, the markets as well.
0: So how do you go about picking these these stocks? Are you stuck on or not stuck, but are you just in dividend stocks only? Or do you kind of say, hey, I like this company too, and these are the reasons why, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna buy their stock too?
1: Yeah, I won't limit to just dividend stocks. Um, the majority of my holdings are gonna be in dividends. There's a a few companies uh that don't pay dividends that uh for example, one of my one of my top ten holdings now is a company called Tay2. Uh, they're the publisher, uh, one of the games best known as Grand Theft Auto. Okay. Um, I picked them back in, I think it was like 2007 or 2008, somewhere around there. They had a a buyout offer from Electronic Arts. It was supposed to be like 27 bucks a share, I think. And, uh, they politely said, no, we don't want the buyout offer. And then after that, uh, the, the stock just took a beating and then I think they had maybe one or two bad earnings report. And again, it got down to like seven bucks. Uh, I said, man, I don't remember what their market cap was at the time, but it was like, yeah, seven bucks. Uh, pick up a few hundred shares on that. No big deal. And then I just kind of sat on it. So I, I look at companies that might take a beating. Uh, look at some of the balance sheets uh, at the time. And currently that company is still... Um, i don 't think they have any debt now still, but uh're pretty pretty cash rich so I looked at how much cash do they have on the books what 's their market capitalization uh, at the time it was a pretty good uh, amount of cash versus what their market cap was sitting in cash so uh, luckily i 've held on to them and it 's been uh, one of my better returning stocks uh, since then so not always just dividend stocks but uh some some companies that I know, um, sometimes it's just a company that has uh, a couple bad quarters and Wall Street turns negative on them, and I'll, I'll scoop them up if they look like a, uh, a bargain to me.
2: That's interesting. So what percent, kind of break out this one million, since that's, that's unusual for us to have somebody that's exactly at a million, but that's that's pretty, you know, that's you right now, a million and 2,000 bucks, right, as of a yeah. few days uh, ago?
1: One, yeah, a million nine last I looked at it yesterday, so...
2: And so, so how much of that is in, let's say, mutual and index funds? How much of it is in individual stocks or real estate, or you know, what are the big bucket breakouts of that?
1: Uh, yeah, it's it's all in individual stocks. So no mutual funds. Um, ironically, because I used to sell those when I was working in investments uh, as a as an advisor, but uh, just not a big fan of mutual funds because of the fees that you run into. So if if you're paying a one percent expense fee on it. Uh, a lot of people don't realize how much that adds up to over the lifetime of your investment. So I figured I'd do it myself. It's not really that crazy to do. I'm not doing anything wild. I'm uh, just kind of uh, doing like Buffett. He buys companies that he wants to hold on for a really long time and hardly sells. And uh, it's just cheaper in the long run for the, for doing it that way. Um, but yeah, the, the major holdings uh, as far as like sectors, uh, tobacco is probably one of my biggest holdings. Uh, so I got, Altree, I think, right now is my top holding. Um, second top holding, I think, right now, because they just had a nice little bump the last two days, is j and J. I I put a pretty big trade into Exxon over the summer, so I'm hoping something will pan out if oil prices go back up. Uh, and then Clorox, I think, it might be the fourth top holding right now, uh, followed by Procter & Gamble. Uh, Take-Two and trying to think. Um, I think that's, that's all I can remember right now off the top of my head, but yeah, it's all individual stocks, no index funds or no mutual funds. Um, And how much do
2: you have? um, Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I I was going to say, I do remember since I went back to work, I have my 401k. So that's, uh, that is my only mutual fund holding, but I'm just having that go into the Vanguard five hundred fund.
2: Gotcha. So how much in those, let's say those top three, how, how many, how much in that of the million?
1: Uh, for Altria, that's going to be, I think it's about 67,000 right now. Um, Johnson and Johnson, that's about 50. And for Exxon, it's like forty-three, forty-four thousand. 44,000.
2: So you're at about 150, give or take. So yeah. maybe a little over 10% in these three in these three stocks. Does that make you nervous at all? Do people tell you, uh, what are you doing? You know, you should diversify more or or what do you say to people that, that say that?
1: Yeah. I've I've been told crazy that I'm crazy just for having all my money in stocks. Uh, I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to get to the point where I'm going to take out all the money and, and blow it all in one day. It's, it's a long-term investment for me. Um, I, I mean, I've worked it out where mathematically, uh, can't say it's 100% certain that uh, I should ever run out of money or anything like that, but I'm able to comfort- comfortably live off of just the dividend income. So I set up what's called a Reg 72T distribution on my IRA after I retired, and I set it up in a conservative way where the withdrawal rate's like basically just the dividends that are coming in from that portfolio. So that gives me enough to live off of. Uh, but then also I have my qualified dividend income coming from my brokerage account. Uh, that's just a little bit of a cushion. And then I've got money from a Roth IRA, but I'm just going to leave that money alone let that kind of grow. Uh, so I'm not even touching that. But uh, I've set it up in a conservative way where I can live off of just the passive income. And it grows a little bit each year. Uh, when I'm not working, I expect to grow 4 or 5% just on the dividend growth. Uh, that keeps pace and outpaces inflation right now. So it's a, a pretty conserv- conservative withdrawal rate. I'm not doing even, um, I'm not even touching like a 4% withdrawal rate of the overall por- portfolio. But yeah, I just kind of ignore people when they say I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: and what would you say uh, your ROI has been the last, I mean, let's see, you're, you're 39 now, you've been doing this since 20, so I don't know, 10, 15 years, what, what would you say your ROI has been?
1: I, I, I honestly don't even know. I, I just kind of track my the, the growth of my net worth. So um, like this year, I, I'm just under 15%, I think, uh, year to date. Uh, last year, I had a, a bad year. Uh, I was basically flat. Uh, the year prior to that, I think it was... 20 something percent um so i i just kind of track my net worth and making sure that goes in the right direction i think the average on that since i've been uh tracking it from 1999 to now close to like 30 percent. i think off the top of my head according to my spreadsheet
2: gotcha so so just prettier, for our prettier. listeners he's got, uh, mark runs a, a blog called bamf money b-a-m-f com. And on that, he has a spreadsheet where he shows his net worth per year and the percentage increase. And, you know, you can see it all the way up to a million dollars. And that starts at his age of 20 and then on to 38. So is that something you've been you've really been tracking every year? or Did you kind of go back and, and say, oh, this would be interesting. Let me go back and track this. or Have you really been doing it for 20 years every year?
1: Yeah, I really have been doing it. Um, I started the spreadsheet probably in my mid-20s, what I was doing before that. I I wish I had the uh, Excel spreadsheet uh, from 1999, but I used to just write it down on post-it notes. Uh, So I just looked at the end of the year, said, here's my different accounts that I've got. What's the uh, ending balance on it? So I, I did really start doing that since 1999. Um, it wasn't probably until my mid-20s that I said, well, maybe I should just put this in a spreadsheet. It'll be a little bit more organized. I can get some charts going off of it. Uh, so it was my mid-20s before I got like real serious about it. Prior to that, I was kind of just playing around, writing it down so I can go back and reference it. Uh, but yeah, I wish. one thing that I wish I started tracking uh, a little bit earlier, this would be good for the, the younger listeners, was my spending. Uh, for some reason, I, I don't think I started tracking that until uh, 2010, 2011, but, uh, knowing where your money goes, that makes a, a big difference. So if you, if you can't figure out, Hey, I've got more income coming out the door versus co- going in the door, uh, you, you're going to have a hard time uh, to, to, to get your net worth going in the right direction. So that was something I wish I, I started at a younger age is just tracking where all my money was going.
2: Hmm, that's interesting. I think it's good advice. What has what's been the response to uh, people seeing this this breakout this Excel sheet? Are they surprised? Or, you know?
0: Yeah, uh,
1: for, for some reason, uh, some of my coworkers had found out, and they uh, they go, "You look just like a, a normal dude on the street. We would not <laughs> have known that you uh, have a, a seven figure net worth." So I was like, "Yeah, I'm just a normal guy." Um, I don't live a flashy lifestyle or anything. It's a pretty comfortable lifestyle, but uh, yeah, the, the, the response is pretty positive overall, I'd say. So I've got my close-knit group of friends that were rooting me on the whole time. They, 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 some people thought I could do it. Some people didn't think I could do it, but I just kind of ignored it. I was like, yeah, I, I knew I was going to eventually hit a million dollars at some point in my life. Um, it was just a matter of when I was going to hit it, not if I was going to hit it. It's cool. So yeah, during the time there were a lot of naysayers the whole time saying, oh, it's not possible to hit a million bucks uh, in in your early thirties or even try to attempt to
0: retire. That's just crazy talk, but uh, just kind of wanted to prove them wrong, I guess. Did you get there sooner or faster than you thought?
1: I I got there, I had to delay it by one year. So after the markets kind of tanked in 2008, um, my, my plan was for 2015 to, uh, just stop working. I thought I would be, uh, hitting a million bucks there at that point. So I had to delay it and, and kick it back a, a, a year for when I thought I would be able to, to comfortably hit retirement. Um, as far as hitting a million bucks. Yeah, it was a little bit later than I thought. Um, so I, I made some mistakes along the way. My um, biggest one that I, I always kick myself on, I think about all the time is Amazon, uh, I think it was back in 2001, sometime. Uh, so I was still working on my master's degree, and I, I picked up Amazon at 10 bucks a share. Wow! And at the time, I was working at a for a small financial planning company. I was basically doing cold calling, and the brokers like, "Man, Amazon, you think that's going to actually come back or anything?" They they sell online books. I say, yeah, it's only 10 bucks a share. What the hell? But. I picked up like 100 shares because that was all I could afford at the time, <laughs> being being in college and paying all the books and crap like that. Um, and then I, I sold it a few months later. thought I was a genius at $16. And oh, man. It's a share. So, And that was in a, a brokerage account, so I paid short-term capital gains on it. And uh, yeah, I regret doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Wish I knew more about buy and hold investing then, but uh, I was trying to I was a a young guy, and like younger guys do, they, they always think oh, I can trade
0: and and make more money. But yeah, that would be worth almost about hundred grand right now. <laughs> so, if you, did did you trade a lot more when you were younger than you do now?
1: Yeah, right now, I mean the uh, the trading, I hardly trade. So, it, I, I I don't know if I'm lazy or not, but. Uh, it, it's just easier for tax time. I don't pay any taxes on anything that I don't sell. I pay a little bit of taxes on uh, a little bit of dividend in- income. Um, but yeah, when I was in my early twenties, uh, up until about my mid twenties, I was trading a lot more. So I was just trying to make a quick buck here and there. And, uh, I'm pretty sure at the time it was not paying off in the long run for me. So I wish I, I started doing my buy and hold stuff, uh, at,
0: at a younger age. So I I've got to ask you know you've clearly been very intentional with, with getting to where you've where you are now in terms of the last 15 20 years how much would you say would you attribute to where you are now to your, your savings rate to your you know stock picking abilities to just the time in the market in general
1: uh, I'd say time in the market And then your savings rate, that has the biggest impact on it. So, I mean, being a finance major, you you, you know all of the stuff about, oh, okay, if you have more than 20 stocks, you're you're probably going to be fully diversified in the market. Your return that's attributable to your stock picking is going to be very small um, compared to uh, if you went to just an index fund. So I think the timing that I'm in the market, And my savings rate, those were the two biggest factors. So very, very little would be attributable to actual stock picking. When I was younger, which is kind of funny to say, (laughs) uh, but when I I was working uh, for the investment company for 15 years, uh, probably should mention something that was crazy. Uh, A lot of people told me, a lot of guys talk about what's their investment in their, their 401ks and things like that. And uh, I didn't really build a diversified portfolio during a lot of that time. I was just in a small cap fund, the only small cap fund that was in my 401k. I kind of said, screw it. Uh, small cap in the long run has been the, uh, the best performing area in the markets. Uh, I'm just going to put all my money in my 401k and we'll see what happens. And uh, small cap, the Russell 2000 had a pretty miraculous run, uh, during that time frame, So I think that also helped. Uh, but yeah, I was, wouldn't say I was overly diversified. I wasn't building, trying to build efficient portfolios or anything like that and make sure that I have exposure to international markets or bonds or cash or anything like that. Kind of ignored that and stayed in stocks during that time. I was more in invested in small cap stocks. Uh, now I'm pretty much large cap dividend paying. <laughs>
0: Has your savings rate as a percentage of your income increased over time, or have you kind of always kept it at a certain level from the beginning? I primarily looked at. I, I don't know how much I was saving throughout all those time
1: frames. I know it was a lot, um, but I always maxed out from day one when I, when I got out of college. Uh, day one, I figured out, okay, I've got four months left in in uh, two thousand two. How much of my salary do I need to to put away to to max out? Um, so I. I always maxed out the 401k, always maxed out my Roth or traditional IRA. And then after that, uh, the bills are paid and then I would kick in whatever's left over uh, goes into my brokerage account and eventually I just stopped touching it. Uh, so I always saved a qu- quite a bit of my, my after-tax income, uh, even, even in a, at a younger age. Uh, what I did, I did build my, my lifestyle uh, after I got out of college, I figure I'm used to a ramen noodle diet. I'm young. I can do this now versus at a later age. I'm probably going to want to eat steaks more often <laughs> when I'm older. So I kind of built my budget around how can I put the most away into these different investment accounts. So instead of going out and living in an expensive apartments or going and buying a big house, my first place that I bought when I was 22 was just like this $50,000 condo in Dallas. So it wasn't in the best neighborhood, but I knew, hey, I'm putting, mon- putting a little bit uh, away into this uh, this little condo. Um, I probably won't make a whole lot of money eventually when I sell it, but at least I'm building up some equity. I sell this place. I've got some equity that I can cash in, and I could just use that towards the next house. So I kind of built my lifestyle around I want to be able to put the maximum Amount away into investment accounts, and I think it'll pay off uh, down down the road for me.
2: Let me let me ask you about budgeting. You kind of said you have. a, Do you still keep a budget?
1: Uh, I track what I spend, but I don't say, okay, I have to spend this much in food, this much in in grocery uh, in groceries or entertainment. Um, nowadays, especially since I've gone back to work, uh, still doing all the maxing out of four one ks and all that good stuff, but uh, I. I don't kind of limit myself. So I, I just track what I spend, but I don't live within a, a budget where I limit myself.
2: Gotcha. Let me ask you about being on the other side. You know, it's kind of a, a unique situation where you've been on that financial advisory side and the 401k side. How has that played a role in in your financial success? Have you been able to see things, you know, mistakes or, you know, good decisions that, somebody's made or con- through conversations have you learned things how has that played a role in in how you've been yeah. able to be successful
1: yeah it gave me a couple of insights so one was seeing from the investment company's perspective where they're just charging all these fees and they're raking in the dough uh based off of fees that uh investors don't realize that they're paying so those expense ratios commissions that are buried in there that they just don't see uh, so I got to see that perspective, but also in talking with clients and, and seeing where their big mistakes are. They're going out and buying these expensive houses. I remember this one couple I was talking to. They, the, the husband wasn't working. The wife was making like $30,000, and they were living in Southlake, Texas, which is one of the ritzier parts of, of the, uh, the DFW uh, Metroplex. And they're living in these Two hundred fifty thousand dollar budget lifestyles on thirty thousand dollars in income and they're asking when am i going to be able to retire and i said you can't you got to get out of that city you got to go live in in the rural parts of town where you can actually afford it you're just never going to be able to dig yourself out of debt so i get to see like the spending lifestyles that a lot of people have um they're just spending money on expensive cell phones that they can't afford. They've they're got the, the premium cable packages, all of that. So I got to see a lot of waste that people are doing that they're making mistakes on. Uh, but also, they're just not putting away nearly enough into their retirement accounts for, or, or investing where they can get to that point where they're, they're financially independent. They don't have to work. So uh, pretty interesting to see both of those perspectives. Uh, what a lot of people just don't even realize is that they are making these mistakes. They say, Oh, how come I'm not getting ahead? Uh, the other part that they're doing is they think, Oh, if I put a, a couple hundred bucks away uh, a month, you know, 200 bucks away a month uh, over 10 years, if I get a 20% return in, in the stock market, I should be a millionaire. So they're relying real, real heavily on just returns from the stock market, which they're not even seeing because they're probably going to be a lot more diversified with the uh, stock bond mixture that I was kind of ignoring. So yeah, it was pretty interesting to see both perspectives.
2: So does somebody need a financial advisor?
1: No. Uh, if somebody's really wanting to put in the effort and learn, uh, do some, a lot of reading. There's lots of great resources that are out there. Uh, Bogleheads, Motley Fool, uh, a lot of the financial independence or early retirement websites that are out there that are popping up every day, there's so much good information out there that a lot of advisors don't even know. Um, so you can serve yourself really well by saving all of those fees that you're paying. And in a lot of cases now, because the the fiduciary regs that are trying to come out, a lot of the the, the modeling and financial planning that's coming out there it's actually just computer-based models. So there's companies out there that sell softwares to company. And all that the advisors are doing is basically taking your information, putting it in a, a computer program, and then they're charging you dearly for that every year. So anyone that's really wanting to better their financial lives, they would want to learn this information. They can do it on their, cell, on, on their own. And, and it's so much cheaper to, to get invested. Uh, you can just go do passive index funds if you want to. You can go buy individual stocks and not have to pay these huge ticket charges. So there's so many more options out there these days versus back in the, in the 80s and 90s. Uh, so it's just a lot of people don't want to put in that effort.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think I think people are nervous and and you know maybe they don't have the financial background or you know, that you do or they're not comfortable with picking their own stocks. But you know nowadays it's it's so easy to just do do it yourself. So let me ask you about real estate. Have you ever invested in real estate? Do you have any in real estate? It it sounds like you don't. Is there a reason for that?
1: Uh, I did dabble in real estate for about seven years. Uh, back in two thousand seven, I started getting into uh, some rental properties. So I had a few rental properties from two thousand seven until uh, I think about two thousand fourteen is when I got out of real estate. Uh, I made some money on it. I made a couple hundred grand off of that, uh, between the sale and rental income from it. But, uh, I know it's a, a way that you can build uh, good cash flows and build some equity and have renters pay for your property and pay it off for you. But I, I just got tired of it. Uh, I think my problem with when I was in real estate, I was too attached to the properties. So I hated when uh, a renter would go in and they wouldn't take care of stuff and the places would be falling apart. So I'd have to go in there and fix it. Uh, so I think what my mistake was during that time frame was that I was too attached to the properties. I wanted a, a nice place to rent out, but I didn't, I didn't know at the time. I was like, oh, these renters will move in. They'll take care of the place like I would take care of it. And they, they didn't. They were just destroying it. So I kind of <laughs> got tired of that factor. Uh, it was more work than I wanted to put in. So I, I, I just slowly – I had three properties at one point. Uh, eventually just sold out uh, of the properties a little bit of, at a time. Uh, so I made some money on it, but it was more work than I wanted, and I didn't want to give up a, a 5 to 10% management fee to a company to, to collect the rent. So I did dabble in it. Um, the other thing that changed was back in 2009 after the recession when the, uh, the government gave those credits out for first-time home buyers. Um, one of my plans was to slowly, but surely acquire a few extra rental properties and then move into the properties and live in it for the two out of five years. So that way I didn't have to pay the capital gains. I just pay a little bit of taxes on the depreciation. Uh, but back then they, the Congress had slipped in a rule saying, okay, um, effective January one of 2009, I believe was the year when you have a rental property. If you move into it, they look at the time that you've owned the property and they'll say, okay, this is mixed-use uh, property. How many years did you own it? How many years was it a rental property versus how many years were you living in it? So that kind of took away uh, a nice benefit of tax-free capital gains on the, uh, the rental property. So kind of when that happened, I was like, oh, that kind of puts a dent in my plans because I was thinking I'll just acquire property, uh, build these up, and then do a 1031 exchange into another property that's going to be my final place to live in, get all these tax-free capital gains and have it in this final house that i just never sell and then it's basically like hey it's free. i'm not paying the taxes on on these uh these sales but uh all of that kind of changed so <laughs> um but yeah I, I also hated like the transaction costs that were involved in real estate um so having to pay those commissions to the broker uh the real estate agent and then if you weren't paying cash, the, those closing costs from buying a house were, were pretty lofty. So I, I looked at that and I was like, yeah, I, I, I'm happier with being able to click a mouse on my computer and, and get my cash out if I need it. And it cost me a couple bucks versus 3 to 6% of the, the sale price.
0: Interesting. So I've got to ask, on your spreadsheet on your website, you've got, I believe it's a little bit of money in a health savings account. Is that correct? Yeah. Do you, do you invest so, that at all? I'm finally happy to have one of those. <laughs> yeah, I, have, uh, I do have that invested. Basically,
1: that's just the uh, Vanguard 500 fund. Okay. Um, the only bummer about HSA that I was really, really excited to find would have an HSA. Um, but the one bummer that I found out was that they can be written with fees. Uh, luckily, right now, I don't run into it. But when I leave, I need to find something uh that I need to move that HSA over to. And a lot of HSAs they have these monthly fees or annual fees. And then they also require you to have so much sitting in cash unfortunately as well. So they're really great accounts. The intention is great, but until there's more and more providers where you don't have to pay these junk fees basically. Uh that's kind of one of the, the downfalls on it. But the thing that I really like about HSAs is right now, uh I just still pay cash if I ever go to the dentist or I uh, have to go to a doctor, which thankfully I haven't had to go to, uh, but any kind of medical expense, I just pay cash for, I just leave it sitting in the uh, HSA. And then you can let it grow. And then down the road, when I'm 60, 65, I've got all the receipts saved up. Uh, I'll be in a traditional retirement age at that point, And then I can just reimburse myself. Uh, off of this account that's grown hopefully faster than inflation uh, with, with expenses that I had a long time ago. So that's a real cool thing that you can do with an HSA. Uh, hopefully that doesn't change, but I, I would foresee Congress kind of closing that that door for, for folks that are using an HSA more as an investment account versus uh, for health purposes.
0: Yeah, that's a great strategy. I, I do that myself, actually, and I think it's a it's a great Great way to kind of use those HSA accounts. So what what kind of advice would you give a 25- or 30-year-old just starting out, wants to become a millionaire?
1: Uh, save as much as you can. Check your lifestyle at the door. Um, so if you can get roommates at that age to, to cut down on some of your housing expenses for an apartment, that would be great. Uh, I had a buddy that was... He bought a house, and he had three extra bedrooms. So he bought a pretty big house and he was renting out those bedrooms to his buddies in his twenties. And basically that was paying for the mortgage and giving him some extra cash. Uh, So he was able to build up quite a bit of equity doing something like that's not a bad idea. Uh, So that way you can minimize your housing costs. Uh, But yeah, really just starting out as early as you can, socking away as much money into 401ks, IRAs, don't forget about those brokerage accounts so you don't have to do any special rules to get to your money. Uh, and then just tracking your spending. Live within a budget. Don't live beyond your means.
2: Gotcha. I think it's great advice. Are there any books or or uh, you know mentors or products that have, have been influential for you?
1: I, I, I'm not a big reader. Um, I've been told that books like... Uh, uh, the Millionaire Next Door, real good. Um, I had a buddy that said, oh, you're doing everything in the Rich Dad Poor Dad book. You should uh, you, you should read that sometime. I said, well, <laughs> if I'm doing that, why do I need to read it? <laughs> um, so I, I haven't really, really read any like financial planning type of books or anything like that. Uh, I've heard of uh, a book called The Richest Man in Babylon. That's supposed to be a pretty good one. Uh, I looked at it and thought about buying it or going to the library and getting it. Uh, I had really good reviews on Amazon, but yeah, I'm just, I'm not a big reader.
2: Okay. Fair enough. So, so you're young, you know, you just reached your first million. Where do you go from here? What are you working on and, and where do you see yourself going?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm shooting for, uh, it took me what, 17 years or so to, to get my first million. So I'm hoping the second one, uh, might be within seven to eight years. Uh, I've got some people saying that it'll happen a lot quicker than I think. Um, I'm not too worried about it. I'm pretty s- secure with what I've got right now. Uh, but I, I, I do hopefully plan on getting a uh, $100,000 increase in my net worth per year, which uh, now that would equate to just 10% growth uh, in my net worth. So it's, it's a lot less work than in the past. Um, growing that passive dividend income coming in, that would be great. Uh I'm, I'm up in the air right now. Uh, I, I've got a one year contract uh, to, to go to work and I'm about eight months away from that one year being up. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of just trying to decide do I want to continue working or uh, maybe I go do another early retirement for a year or two. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of what the plans are right now. Also depends on uh, relationships, how those go. If, if the current girl I'm seeing wants me to continue working, I guess I'll do that for a little longer if if she's cool with uh, having a dude that doesn't work <laughs> that would be great <laughs> so, <laughs> sure.
2: uh,
1: but yeah that that's really all the plans are uh not gonna increase my lifestyle or anything like that it's uh having the money is more about being able to to do what I want versus having to go into a, a job that I don't enjoy um so having having a little bit of a nest egg at my age it's just more for my own security. If I'm not enjoying something, I can say, screw it. I'm not going to do this anymore. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I just continue to plan on and in, in keeping invested in the markets. Um, my goal is basically I want to be hundred percent stocks for the rest of my life. Uh, as crazy as that sounds and, uh, against all financial advice that, uh, most advisors would say, but, um, I think mathematically just because of my, my low key life, lifestyle, uh, I'm not counting on having a huge withdrawal rate that I need to do. Um, I, I think it makes sense for me to do in the long run.
2: Sure, sure. You know, it's interesting from your breakout here. You you hit about two hundred and ten thousand your first ten years or so, and then you got to a million, so seven hundred and fifty k more in the next eight.
0: Yeah,
1: so and that, what, what people should realize. Yeah, one thing that I always used to tell people: there would be some young guys that would start working, and I always said. Hey man, you should really just try to shoot for, uh, try to get to 100,000 as fast as you can. Like, why 100,000? I was like, well, say you got 100,000 built up in, in, in stocks or mutual funds or index funds, whatever it might be, but you got this 100 grand that's sitting in stocks. And then you see a day where there's a 1% increase in the markets. Basically, you just made $1,000 in the day. So that's a pretty cool feeling when, when you see that. So I always used to tell the young guys that were coming in, I was like, yeah, just try to get to 100 grand as soon as you can. Uh, and then think about, okay, you got to, you got to hundred grand shoot for 200 grand, that 1% you're all of a sudden making $2,000 in one day. So that's a more income than most people are going to make working all week. Uh, eventually I remember having one of my biggest days, I made like $30,000 in, 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 the market one day I said, wow, that's more than a lot of people in the world are going to make all year at work. So, I mean, just trying to set these little goals and then all of a sudden, you know, the money works harder than you have to work.
2: Yeah, it's pretty crazy. It goes uh, to Albert Einstein's quote, compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world, right?
1: Yeah, he was a pretty smart guy.
2: <laughs> yeah. So tell us about your uh, website a little bit here, BanffMoney.com. What are you trying to do with that and, and what's your goal?
1: Yeah. yeah, I just wanted to kind of point out to folks that, hey, uh, one, uh, it, you, you can save up for early retirement if you want to do that. Uh, it, it's not as much work as you have, as, as a lot of people think it is. Uh, you just have to follow, hey, I, I've got this much income coming in, here's my expenses, uh, don't spend more than what you make, have that difference invested, try to control your spending. Uh, so basically the, the purpose of the goal was I just want to show people that it can be done. Uh, also, I wanted to try to bust the myth of dividend stocks are boring. They're not boring. They're actually really cool. Uh, you get if, if people think, oh, rental income from a, a, a rental property is great. I've got this asset that can increase in value, but I'm also collecting this rent. It's the same thing with dividend stocks. You've got this asset that can increase in value. And in the meantime, you're collecting these quarterly dividends from the company. And they're also increasing. And the beautiful thing is that you don't have to go and say, hey, where's my rent money? Uh, the company... With, with these 30-, 40-, 50-year dividend histories, there's a high likelihood that they're going to continue to at least pay their current dividend rate. Um, and then the companies that have that, that goal of increasing it slowly and steadily, they're, they're always going to be working towards that. There's going to be bumps in the road sometimes, sure, like in the 08. Uh, banks, they, they took a big hit. They cut their dividends. But in the long run, you've got a diversified portfolio of a few holdings. You're, you're going to have more companies that are increasing versus getting cuts. Uh, but yeah, the goal the the goal of the website was just to point out that hey, dividends are not boring. Uh, lots of great things that are coming from dividend paying companies. You also get capital appreci- appreciation, early retirement, or hitting financial independence is is pretty easy to do as long as you're willing to work for it. And then also, I wanted to kind of bust some of the uh, the chops of the the industry out there as well. Um, so there, you'd be surprised we we're talking earlier about, uh, do people need a financial advisor? A lot of financial advisors are just sales guys. So they, they have more background in sales than actual finance. A lot of those companies, they say, Oh, we can train you in, in the investment world, as long as you know how to sell a product. So they're just really good sales guys. But when you start getting into some nitty gritty details, they don't know that stuff. So uh, I, I kind of point some of that stuff out as well.
0: Awesome, Mark. Well, any last words for our listeners today?
1: No, uh, just, just keep chugging and plugging away. Uh, the markets do correct every once in a while, uh, but, but stay in it for the long run. And don't, uh, don't let anyone scare you or tell you that you can't do something as far as uh, becoming
0: a millionaire and, and, and saving uh, a nice nest egg. Awesome, Mark from BanffMoney.com. We appreciate, appreciate you coming on the show today. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more
1: stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at Millionaire'sUnveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.